Chapters 24 through 26 of The Angel of Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. The Angel of Terror by Edgar Wallace. Chapter 24. Lydia went up to her bedroom to put away her clothes and found the maid making her bed. "'Oh, madame,' said the girl, "'I forgot to speak to you about a matter. I hope madame will not be angry.' "'I'm hardly likely to be angry on a morning like this,' said Lydia. "'It is because of this matter,' said the girl. She groped in her pocket and brought out a small shining object, and Lydia took it from her hand. This matter was a tiny silver cross, so small that a five-franc piece would have covered it easily. It was brightly polished and apparently had seen service. "'When we took your bed, after the atrocious and mysterious happening,' said the maid rapidly, "'this was found in the sheets. It was not thought that it could possibly be Madame's, because it was so poor, until this morning when it was suggested that it might be a souvenir that the Madame values.' "'You found it in the sheets?' asked Lydia in surprise. "'Yes, Madame.' "'It doesn't belong to me,' said Lydia. "'Perhaps it belongs to Madame Cole-Mortimer. "'I will show it to her.' "'Mrs. Cole-Mortimer was a devout Catholic, "'and it might easily be some cherished keepsake of hers. "'The girl carried the cross to the window. "'An X had been scrawled by some sharp-pointed instrument "'at the junction of the bars. "'There was no other mark to identify the trinket. "'She put the cross in her bag,' and when she saw Mrs. Cole Mortimer again, she forgot to ask her about it. The car drove her into Nice alone. Jean did not feel inclined to make the journey, and Lydia rather enjoyed the solitude. The isolation hospital was at the top of the hill, and she found some difficulty in obtaining admission at this hour. The arrival of the chief medical officer, however, saved her from making the journey in vain. The report he gave about the child was very satisfactory. The mother was in the isolation ward. Can she be seen? Yes, madame, said the urbane Frenchman in charge. You understand you will not be able to get near her. It will be rather like interviewing a prisoner, for she will be behind one set of bars and you behind another. Lydia was taken to a room which was, she imagined, very much like a room in which prisoners interviewed their distressed relations. There were not exactly bars, but two large mesh nets of steel separated the visitor from the patient under observation. After a time, a nun brought in the gardener's wife, a tall, gaunt woman who was a native of Marseilles and spoke the confusing patois of that city with great rapidity. It was some time before Lydia could accustom her ear to the queer dialect. Her boy was getting well, she said, but she herself was in terrible trouble. She had no money for the extra food she required. Her husband, who was away in Paris when the child had been taken, had not troubled to write her. It was terrible being in a place amongst other fever cases, and she was certain that her days were numbered. Lydia pushed a 500-franc note through the grating to the nun to settle her material needs. "'And, oh, madame,' wailed the gardener's wife, "'my poor little boy has lost the gift of the Reverend Mother of San Surplice. 
his own cross which has been blessed by his holiness the pope it is because i left his cross in his little shirt that he is getting better but now it is lost and i'm sure these thieving doctors have taken it a cross said lydia what sort of a cross it was a silver cross madame the value in money was nothing it was priceless little xavier xavier repeated lydia remembering the x on the trinket that had been found in her bed wait a moment madame she opened her bag and took out the tiny silver symbol and at the sight of it the woman burst into a volley of joyful thanks it is the same the same madame it has a small x which the reverend mother scratched with her own blessed scissors lydia pushed the cross through the net and the nun handed it to the woman it is the same it is the same she cried oh thank you madame now my heart is glad lydia came out of the hospital and walked through the gardens by the doctor's side but she was not listening to what he was saying her mind was fully occupied with the mystery of the silver cross it was little xavier's it had been tucked inside his bed when he lay as his mother thought dying and it had been found in her bed then little xavier had been in her bed her foot was on the step of the car when it came to her the meaning of that drenched couch and the empty bottle of peroxide xavier had been put there and somebody who knew that the bed was infected had so soaked it with water that she could not sleep in it. But who? Old Jacks? She got into the car slowly and went back to Cap Martine along the Grand Cornish. Who had put the child there? He could not have walked from the cottage. That was impossible. She was halfway home when she noticed a parcel lying on the floor of the car, and she let down the front window and spoke to the chauffeur. It was not Morton, but a man whom she had hired with the car. "'It came from the hospital, madame,' he said. "'The porter asked me if I came from Villa Casa. It was something sent to the hospital to be disinfected. There was a charge of seven francs for the service, madame, and this I paid.' She nodded. She picked up the parcel it was addressed to mademoiselle jean briggerland and bore the label of the hospital lydia sat back in the car with her eyes closed tired of turning over this problem yet determined to get to the bottom of the mystery jean was out when she got back and she carried the parcel to her own room she was trying to keep out of her mind the very possibility that such a hideous crime could have been conceived as that which all the evidence indicated had been attempted very resolutely she refused to believe that such a thing could have happened there must be some explanation for the presence of the cross in her bed possibly it had been found after the wet sheets had been taken to the servants part of the house she rang the bell and the maid who had given her the trinket came tell me said lydia where was this cross found in your bed mademoiselle but where was it before the clothing was removed from this room or after it was before madame said the maid when the sheets were turned back we found it lying exactly in the middle of the bed lydia's heart sank thank you that will do she said i have found the owner of the cross and have restored it should she tell jean 
Her first impulse was to take the girl into her confidence and reveal the state of her mind. Her second thought was to seek out old Jags, but where could he be found? He evidently lived somewhere in Monte Carlo, but his name was hardly likely to be in the visitor's list. She was still undecided when Marcus Stepney called to take her to lunch at the Café de Paris. The whole thing was so amazingly improbable. It belonged to a world of unreality. But then, she told herself, she also was living in an unreal world, and had been so for weeks. End of chapter 24 Chapter 25 Mr. Stepney had become more bearable. A week ago, she would have shrunk from taking luncheon with him. But now, such a prospect had no terrors. His view of things and people were more generous than she had expected. She had anticipated his attitude would be a little cynical, but to her surprise, he oozed loving kindness. Had she known Mr. Marcus Stepney as well as Jean knew him, she would have realized that he adapted his mental attitude to his audience. He was a man whose stock in trade was a knowledge of human nature and the ability to please. He would no more have attempted to shock or frighten her than a first-class salesman would shock or annoy a possible customer. He had goods to sell, and it was his business to see that they satisfied the buyer. In this case, the goods were represented by 69 inches of good-looking, well-dressed man, and it was rather important that he should present the best face of the article to the purchaser. It was almost as important that the sale should be a quick one. Mr. Stepney lived from week to week. What might happen next year seldom interested him. Therefore, his courting must be rapid. He told the story of his life at lunch, a story liable to move a tender-hearted woman to at least a sympathetic interest. The story of his life varied also with the audience. In this case, it was designed for one whom he knew had had a hard struggle, whose father had been heavily in debt, and who had tasted some of the bitterness of defeat. Jean had given him a very precise story of the girl's career, and Mr. Marcus Stepney adapted it for his own purpose. "'Why, your life has run almost parallel with mine,' said Lydia. "'I hope it may continue,' said Mr. Stepney, not without a touch of sadness in his voice. "'I am a very lonely man.' I have no friends except the acquaintances one can pick up at nightclubs and the places where the smart people go in the season, and there is an artificiality about society friends which rather depresses me. I feel that, too, said the sympathetic Lydia. If I could only settle down, he said, shaking his head, a little house in the country, a few horses, a few cows, a woman who understood me. A false move, this. "'And a few pet chickens to follow you about?' she laughed. "'No, it doesn't sound quite like you, Mr. Stepney.' He lowered his eyes. "'I am sorry you think that,' he said. "'All the world thinks I'm a gadabout, an idler, with no interest in existence, except the pleasure I can extract.' "'And a jolly good existence, too,' said Lydia briskly. She had detected a note of sentiment creeping into the conversation, and had slain it with the most effective weapon in a woman's armory. "'And now tell me all about the great Moorish pretender who was staying at your hotel. I caught a glimpse of him on the promenade, and there was a lot about him in the paper.' Mr. Stepney sighed. 
and related all that he knew of the redoubtable muley hafiz on the way to the rooms muley hafiz was being lionized in france just then to the annoyance of the spanish authorities who had put a price on his head lydia showed much more interest in the moorish pretender than she did in the pretender who walked by her side he was not in the best of tempers when he brought her back to the villa casa and jean who entertained him whilst lydia was changing saw that his first advances had not been met with a very encouraging result there will be no wedding bells jean he said you take a rebuff very easily said the girl but he shook his head my dear jean i know women as well as i know the back of my hand and i tell you that there's nothing doing with this girl i'm not a fool she looked at him earnestly no you're not a fool she said at last you're hardly likely to make a mistake about that sort of thing i'm afraid you'll have to do something more romantic what do you mean he asked her you'll have to run away with her and like the knights of old carry off the lady of your choice the knights of old didn't have to go before a jury and a judge and serve seven years at dartmoor for their sins he said unpleasantly she was sitting on a low chair overlooking the sea whittling a twig with her silver-handled knife she had taken from her bag a favorite occupation of hers in moments of cogitation all the ladies of old didn't go to the police she said some of them were quite happy with their powerful lords especially delicate-minded ladies who shrank from advertising their misfortune to the readers of the sunday press i think most women like to be wooed in the caveman fashion marcus is that the kind of treatment you'd like jean there was a new note in his voice had she looked at him she would have seen a strange light in his eyes i'm merely advancing a theory she said a theory which has been supported throughout the ages i'd let her go and her money too he said he was speaking quickly almost incoherently there's only one woman in the world for me jean and i've told you that before i'd give my life and soul for her he bent over and caught her arm in his big hand you believe in the caveman method do you he breathed is that the kind of treatment you'd like eh jean she did not attempt to release her arm keep your hand to yourself marcus please she said quietly you'd like it wouldn't you jean my god i'd sacrifice my soul for you you little devil be sensible she said it was not her words or her firm tone that made him draw back twice and deliberately she drew the edge of her little knife across the back of his hand and he leaped away with a howl of pain you you beast he stammered and she looked at him with her sly smile there must have been cave women too marcus she said coolly as she rose they had their methods give me your handkerchief i want to wipe this knife his face was gray now he was looking at her like a man bereft of his senses he did not move when she took his handkerchief from his pocket wiped the knife closed and slipped it into her bag before she replaced the handkerchief tidily and all the time he stood there with his hands streaming with blood, incapable of movement. It was not until she had disappeared round the corner of the house that he pulled out the handkerchief and wrapped it about his hand. A devil, 
he whimpered almost in tears. A devil. End of chapter 25 Chapter 26 Jean Briggerland discovered a new arrival on return to the house. Jack Glover had come unexpectedly from London, so Lydia told her, and Jack himself met her with extraordinary geniality. "'You lucky people to be in this paradise,' he said. "'It is raining like the Dickens in London, and miserable beyond description, and you're looking brown and beautiful, Miss Briggerland.' "'The spirit of the warm South has got into your blood, Mr. Glover,' she said sarcastically. "'A course at the Riviera would make you almost human.' "'And what would make you human?' asked Jack blandly. "'I hope you people aren't going to quarrel as soon as you meet,' said Lydia. Jean was struck by the change in the girl. There was a color in her cheeks and a new and a more joyous note in her voice, which was unmistakable to so keen a student as Jean Briggerland. "'I never quarrel with Jack,' she said. She assumed a proprietorial air toward Jack Glover, which unaccountably annoyed Lydia. "'He invents the quarrels and carries them out himself. "'How long are you staying?' Two days,' said Jack. "'Then I'm due back in town.' "'Have you brought your Mr. Jaggs with you?' asked Jean innocently. "'Isn't he here?' asked Jack in surprise. "'I sent him along a week ago.' "'Here?' repeated Jean slowly. "'Oh, he's here, is he? Of course.' She nodded. Certain things were clear to her now. The unknown drencher of the beds, the stranger who had appeared from nowhere and had left her father senseless, were no longer mysteries. Oh, Jean, it was Lydia who spoke. I'm awfully remiss. I didn't give you the parcel I brought back from the hospital. From the hospital, said Jean. What parcel was that? Something you had sent to be sterilized. I'll get it. She came back in a minute or two with the parcel, which she had found in the car. "'Oh, yes,' said Jean carelessly. "'I remember. It's a rug that I'd lent to the gardener's wife when her little boy was taken ill.' She handed the packet to the maid. "'Take it to my room,' she said. She waited just long enough to find an excuse for leaving the party and went upstairs. The parcel was on her bed. She tore off the wrapping. Inside, starched, white, and clean, was the dust coat she had worn the night she had carried Xavier from the cottage to Lydia's bed. The rubber cap was there, discolored from the effects of the disinfectant, and the gloves and the silk handkerchief, neatly washed and pressed. She looked at them thoughtfully. She put the articles away in a drawer, went down the servant's stairs, and threw a heavy open door into the cellar. Light was admitted by two barred windows through one of which she had thrust her bundle that night, and she could see every corner of the cellar, which was empty, as she had expected. The clothing she had thrown down had been gathered by some mysterious agent who had forwarded it to the hospital in her name. She came slowly up the stairs, fastened the open door behind her, and walked out into the garden to think. Jags, she said aloud, and her voice was as soft as silk, I think, Mr. Jaggs, you ought to be in heaven. End of chapter 26